Thanks for following along the second season of Crime Beat. And thanks so much to the listeners who have supported our sponsor, the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts. I've seen shows there several times, and it's a great night out. In January, they will have a new play, the very dark comedy Arsenic and Old Lace. There will be more details and a discount code later in this episode. So thank you to the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts. I need to start with a note about the last episode. We called the episode Javier's Final Guilty Plea. But after it was posted, I got a call from investigator Larry Montgomery, who said the recording I was using was from the second to the last plea, not the final plea. I never heard the final plea, because it wasn't in the file I was using at the Placentia Police Department. Larry kept written notes from the final plea, and we went over those notes last week. Javier tells basically the same story, except this time he admits he was with Sam in the parking lot at Baskin-Robbins through the commission of the murder at the Via Angelina Apartments. I just wanted to clear that up. Now we can start episode 14. Some of the descriptions, details, and language in this podcast may not be suitable for all audiences. In the early 1990s, I met a woman named Samantha Dunn, who was a great writer and became a great friend. We've stayed close over the years. She's written three novels, Failing Paris, Faith in Carlos Lopez, and my favorite, Not by Accident. She's the best writer I know, and she's the editor of Coast Magazine. On December 3rd, Sammy invited me and senior editor Todd Harmonson to have what she calls a Coast Conversation at Chapman Crafted Brewery in Orange. About 50 people attended. The topic that night was the Kathy Torres murder case. I invited Mary Bennett, who was Kathy's mom, and her family to be there. But they couldn't make it. I remember the day before the event, Mary called me and suggested that we make a recording of the night so she could hear what happens. Mary, this is the recording you asked for. I'm going to play our Coast Conversation, and then I'll come back at the end of this episode, which will be the final episode of Mom vs. Murderer, and I'll update you on what's happened to all the major players in this drama since I started my reporting almost two years ago. So here we go. The Coast Conversation, led by host Samantha Dunn. Uh, this evening, we're going to be talking uh, about one of my new obsessions. I have become a big, fat cliché. Because I am a woman addicted to a crime podcast. Yeah, you, right? Women are apparently the, one of the largest consumers of true crime podcasts. Did you know that, guys? Uh, I yes, know we knew that. All kinds okay. of crime, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I didn't know that until I started to research. So this evening we're going to be talking about SCNG's new Crime Beat Season 2 podcast, Mom versus murderer, and uh, with me is the executive. Uh, executive, what are you? Thanks the executive. For, thank you for the promotion. Yeah, no. yeah. senior editor. You're just a senior. Okay, just the senior editor of the Orange County Register, Todd Hermanson. And yay, Todd Hermanson. And my dear friend, who I've known for twenty some odd years. Thirty. Thirty. Okay, shut up. <laughs> and uh, uh, talented. Reporter uh, for the Orange County Register, screenwriter, and creator of the Crime Beat podcast, Keith Shannon. Hello, Keith. Hello. Um, I have a million questions, and I am pretty sure that everybody else does too. But first, I wanted to talk about um, what you think is behind the popularity of Crime Beat podcasts. It has become one of one of the one of the articles that I was reading today, actually in Vulture called it the, the golden era of podcasts, specifically for crime. Um, what do you think it is about this medium of storytelling that is so, uh, so lends itself to this, this type of subject? Hey, everyone. So I want to let you know that we are recording this, and this could be, if you guys are really good, a bonus episode of uh, Crime Beat. So don't do anything crazy. Mom, I'm looking at you. Uh, the question was about the popularity of uh, true crime. And what I, do you think this medium in particular? Okay. I, I, I think it has to do with people's time. 
we all commute, we all walk in the neighborhood, we all um, work out on the treadmill and the, and the, the medium connected to our phones is really easy to access. And at the same time, everyone loves a good mystery. So the format is to tell the story over a series of episodes where I know what's going to happen and you guys don't. And I think that's a really compelling way to uh, tell a story. No, I agree completely. It's something that you, know, you can have as many crime shows as you want on television, and there are so, and many of them are very pat. You're going to get an answer in 42 minutes um, because they've got to meet that time period. In a podcast, you can extend it out. You can spend some time with the story and really dig into it. Um, and there's nothing like hearing the voices of the people involved. Uh, that, that to me, is the key. Um, I think that puts it over the top where, I mean, let's put it, when you're hearing Mary Bennett talk in season two of Crime Beat, or first episode, I think it was when Debbie Torres, I, I was yeah the youngest sister. I couldn't I could barely hold it together, and I'd heard it several times. I totally agree with with that. I think there's something so primal to hearing the human voice. Um, there's something so immediate, and there's something within us, um, kind of. In our DNA, as Homo sapiens sitting around the, the the fire, you know, being told stories, I think that's something essentially elemental, and it brings up issues of fear. It lets us work through our deepest terrors, if you will, um, from the safety of our car. Well, yeah, I mean, I think anybody who is a parent can yeah. can relate so deeply to this story, or a sibling, um, yeah. and. You go, I would feel that or something so similar. For those of you who aren't familiar, Kathy Torres, 20-year-old student at Cal State Fullerton, um, in 1994, worked a shift at Savon in the photo department and never came home. And she was found a week later, stabbed 74 times in the trunk of her own car. And so it set up this incredible mystery that took several decades to figure out who did it. Yes, that is the subject of Mom versus Murderer for season two. And I'm wondering how, I hate to say this, but there are many crimes committed over the years, every year. And so you have a lot, unfortunately, to choose from. How did you choose the story? Keith, was it you? Was it, how was it done? And, and what was the, for, for you, the first hook? Um, the first hook was I'm telling a hero's journey. I have a heroic mom who would not allow justice to fade. Um, and over and over again, for 20 plus years, she was told that no one will ever solve this case. And she fought and fought and fought. And when I had her and her cooperation, so <clears throat> I talked to Mary this afternoon, and she's not here tonight. It's very difficult for her to participate in an event where people are having fun and having drinks and, and, and laughing and enjoying each other when her daughter is not here. So I completely understand. But she's the one who suggested, why don't you make an episode out of this so I can hear it? So Mary, we'll do this for you. Um, oh, go ahead. When, when I've got uh, Mary Bennett cooperating and telling me about her innermost thoughts. And then I have her daughter, Debbie, who was 13 years old at the time of the crime and, and has a whole uh, narrative about her journey to deal with what happened to her sister. I knew that I had a really powerful story. So my job is to say no. Uh, I know that well. Yeah. <laughs> so... Keith and I talk about ideas all the time. And after we were kind of, I think we were middle of season one, he started pitching season two because, you know, we knew it was going to be something that we wanted to keep going with. And he was telling me about the Tor uh, Kathy Torres story. 
and I was vaguely Wait, familiar. Well, let, yeah, back up because it takes place in Fullerton. You graduated uh, from college. I, yeah, but but she and, was at the university. She was at Fullerton. Yeah, and they actually lived probably about a mile and a half from where I was living while I was at Cal State Fullerton. Uh, I lived in Placentia. And I was familiar with it, but I'll confess, I came up in sports, and my focus was on sports writing and everything that was going on in that world. So I wasn't, yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't my, my focus on all the news that we had in the register, or in fact, I wasn't even at the register at that point. But I was vaguely familiar with the case, but I had no idea of the intricacies of involved. But when Keith was telling me about Mary and everything that this mom did to keep this case alive, I said, okay, I can't say no to that. That's, that's a yes. Um, we are still debating season three. I'm not completely convinced of the case yet, but I, I'm getting close. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. But, um, but he's getting there. And Keith is such a good storyteller that I know if he can convince me and he can tell me the story and I'll be the cynic because I have to play that role. Um, then I know the audience is going to enjoy it too. And as soon as he told me everything that Mary did to keep this going, I was hooked. She's an amazingly compelling character. It's called Mom versus Murderer for a reason. Um, but Keith, what are the ethical considerations of telling a story like this uh, in a medium like this? Uh, because, you know, let's face it, there's a lot of, of trauma both to, to the family and the retelling and and to, well, to everyone involved. So every Thursday morning around 8 o'clock, my phone rings, and it's Mary Bennett, because she has just finished listening to that week's episode. And sometimes she's in tears, and sometimes she's mad. Um, it's a huge responsibility. As Darren Wyatt, the, uh, who, who is the police officer uh, who investigated this case and also is heroic and, and kept the case alive, for many years after being told no. As he says, um, you've got to keep pushing, and it's a huge responsibility to investigate the death of another human being. And I feel that when I talk to Mary, I have to sit across the table. Uh, they have not always been happy with the conclusions that I come to, with what I reveal about their family, and. I, I've had to say to them, I don't have allegiance to you, I have allegiance to the truth. And it's a very difficult conversation to have because this is journalism. And it's not, um, it's, it's not storytelling from their point of view per se, it's responsible storytelling. And so that's how I see it and that's a tough conversation to have. And how do you define responsible storytelling in this context? It's, uh, that's a really good question. Um, weighing the pain and the personal nature of the details that I have gathered from all of the myriad interviews that I've done versus what would be a good way to tell the story. Yeah. And part of it for us is also we're still representing a news organization here. Um, this isn't something where we can just say all the standards that we've adhered to for decades in our careers, we can just throw out because it's a new medium. Uh, we had a, a conversation, it was a tough edit on an upcoming episode where somebody made accusations against somebody that were not backed up by the facts. We could all believe it, and, and I think we probably do. Um, but, but we took it out. Yeah, we took it out because it did not meet the standards of what we had to, you know, there's a threshold. Um, and there are legal concerns. Well. <laughs> absolutely, right. I do not want this person owning uh, our company. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, to, yes, that. And there's an incredible responsibility we have as storytellers, right, Keith? Mm -hmm. I mean, we are the ones who get to form the narrative that people, thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people now who listen to this podcast will remember. So I used the word in one episode, abducted. 
And Mary Bennett called me pissed off that I used the word abducted because her daughter fought and abducted means that you were taken. And I tried to explain to her that I consider the word abducted to mean stuffed in the trunk of a car and taken away. And she wanted to control the word. And she wanted to give her daughter the dignity of Exactly. So if you listen to the episode where she's taken, um, I talk about how hard she fought. And even after 74 stab wounds, Kathy Torres wasn't dead. She was still fighting, still uh, kicking and, and, and trying to prevent being stuffed in the trunk of that car. So it's a huge responsibility. It is. And it, it's interesting, too, because as I was listening to these episodes and I was, and I was imagining Mary, and you don't have to imagine Mary very hard because the, the sound of her voice and the conviction of her words is just so just unforgettable. But then also, too, how Kathy herself is rendered. She's not a victim. She's a whole complex character right. who is, um, who, who is she, she's victimized, but she's not a victim. The most important thing that I've heard since I started the podcast, I've talked to other podcasters. Yeah. And they told me the power of this medium is that someone like Kathy Stor uh, Torres' story can live forever. So when you do a Google, Google search, you find her story. So, spoiler alert, <laughs> if, uh, if there was justice in this case, I'm not going to give it away, the person who goes away is going to have a parole hearing at some point, and this podcast will be out there as a testament to what really happened. The whole story. Yeah. And yeah. it goes around the way. Go ahead, man. Well, and like you said, Kathy is really brought to life in a way that I think that's why Mary has been a part of this. It's a way to keep her, not just her memory alive, but also her, her passion for life and her pursuit of, of greater things. Yeah. Um, Kathy was an impressive young woman. She was. Um, and, and it very much like so. a person that you would have gone to school with. Maybe not you because you're a whippersnapper. But uh, me. No, I mean, Kathy and I were only a couple years apart at Kelsey Fullerton, actually. So, yeah. Yeah. No, and she, she's a full person. And, um, and one of the other things that's done so fully and so fascinatingly, and I wanted you to talk about this, Keith and, and Todd, is the world of the story. What I mean by that is it's set in placentia. She, the families are from Placentia. She goes to school in Fullerton, and it is not only a, um, a, a profile of a family and of and people, but of the place and time. And you did that, and you do it very consistently and specifically. Can you speak to why that was important? So the very first day that I started doing the research for this, I went out and parked my car on the street where Kathy lived. And it's a, it's a little tiny cul-de-sac in Placentia where the house where she lived is right here and the house where the suspect lived is right here. Where they, you could draw a straight line from their driveways across the street from each other. And there's a, there's a window where Mary would stand and watch the other house across the street. And so I thought it's my responsibility to put people here like I'm sitting here in this car today looking at, at this place. So I took the police officer, uh, the detective Darren Wyatt, out to each site in Placentia where, where Kathy met up with Sam on the night she disappeared, where the murder took place, where the body was found, and we went place by place by place and and I just I feel it's my responsibility to let the listeners know what it's like to be there. One of the, one of the interesting things is there there are people who make a business out of critiquing podcasts, and a guy who is one of the biggest cynics in the business is a guy named Toby Ball, um, and he's he'll be happy that you called him that. Yeah, I know he takes pride <laughs> in that, um, but he's also been a fan of Crime Beat, and. Generally, he hates that kind of a scene setting, you know, mom looking across the street at um, where the suspect's house is. 
And he actually liked it because mm-hmm. Keith pulled it off really well on that one. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it set the tone right away for a series or a season that was going to explore just how much Mary would do to keep this going. But it's not only that. And, and for those of you who, who don't know, I also teach writing. So I, if I geek out on the storytelling aspects, <laughs> please forgive me. But, but I'm fascinated with this. And I, he's, Keith, he, Keith is, is such a, a native talent. He does these things reflexively, and I don't even think he realizes how good it is. <laughs> because he's, he's not only setting the stage so you can have a vivid and continuous dream in your mind as you, as you listen to the story, but he's also setting these cultural markers for a couple reasons. One, see, you didn't even know you were doing this. <laughs> uh, let me tell you what you're doing. <laughs> He, he is t- setting a place in a time, the, the movie, the, the, the movies that were in the theater, the, the news that was on um, television, the fact that there were things like video stores, uh, the fact that there were things like, you know, mixtapes and cassette recorders. He's setting this in a place in Pagers. Pagers. Pagers, yeah. Oh, that's a big thing in the, in the, in the story. Right. He's setting this so you realize how much time has passed. This is an event that happened in a specific... Uh, time frame and and there was a certain technology available and that all plays into the crime uh the, the well the, the the investigation of the crime i should say and there's an even deeper thing going on here and that is the socioeconomic element of the story listen kathy torres is from a working class latino family right she's a girl that got murdered horribly uh, and she was full of bright promise uh, the first to go to college in her family and she is murdered horribly. And so it's not only the loss of this, this tragic loss for this family, but it's this tragic loss for, for um, the hopes of, of a culture, do you know? And, and, and the people on the street. Um, and I think that it would be very easy for a story like Kathy Torres is never to be spoken of again, right? We know, we know, we know how these things work, right folks? And the fact that the whole world is rendered is really something to you. So, and Todd. Thank you. Kathy, by the way, is the second person in her family to go, go oh, to college. T- Tina, her sister, who I'm sure will listen to this, oh, sorry, was Tina. the first to, to go sorry, to college. Tina. Yeah. That's right. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But, but Kathy is going to be the... the, the um, um, her mom. Her mom called her the star. The star. That's right. She was the loudest and the and the most uh, dynamic. And, yeah. And she was going to be a social worker to right. help the people in her community. Right. Correct. Right. And no, I think you're right, though, Sam, because there are a lot of stories about the rich kid who is killed, or right. the you know, you know the type of story that you see, the ones that get attention. And as a Latino who lived in Placentia around the same time, mm-hmm. I, this appealed to me. Part yeah. of it, and that was something that I said, "Okay, um, that's a great story to tell." And this is somebody who might not get that attention that you, know, you talk about. So, J Lo, if you're listening, please get the rights to this story, make it into a Netflix series, and you can star as Mary Bennett. Okay, carry on. Yes. Um, I want. I want storytelling itself, how you put this thing together, because, mm. uh, how many of you listen, just raise your hand, you know, right, okay, the, those of you who haven't, you truly are in for a treat, and I'm not saying that because I like these guys and <laughs> work with them, it's, it's really something, by episode three, if you aren't driving around the block to finish the episode, I don't know what's wrong with you, <laughs> um, but, but you had a lot of choices for storytelling, how did you, uh, how did you decide on the architecture of this, and, and what were some of the challenges? Some of the challenges were that we don't have a studio, <laughs> and there's a story behind uh, how I do it. What are you talking about? You've got a studio. It's your my, closet. My, please, my, please, please tell the visual. My beautiful wife, Nancy, is here, and uh, I have to clear her out of the bathroom in the morning um, that I, when I record because I record in my walk-in closet. I have a sock drawer where I screw in the microphone just like this, and I use my uh, dirty clothes hamper as a stand for my uh, laptop computer, and I do the narration. Now listen, here's, ano- do, yeah, yeah, here's another thing. So, so I was critical of myself after I listened to the first two episodes, and I thought, you know, it sounds like I'm reading because I was reading, you know? And I, 
So I came up with this scheme to not read. I would put the text in front of me, I would read the text, and then I close my eyes and I say the story like I'm talking to my shirts that are hanging in front of me. And then I read, and then I say the lines without reading. So you're not listening to reading, like really, you're not listening to reading. And I think it sounds better. You could, you could see uh, a, an evolution as the story goes forward. But I look really weird doing that, sitting in my closet uh, with my eyes closed. How did you, how you tease out things well, so effectively? This was one of our, actually, our biggest, well, it's not just me, but... Um, I mean, really, there's, I guess it's just the two of us really who are looking at the <laughs> yeah, story, it is, but, it is, yeah. um, but there was a big debate over episode one that I think affected a lot of the season. Mm. Um, and part of it was how early do we name the main suspect? Initially, I think you had in the first paragraph, yeah, in the first paragraph. Right, right. And, and we debated that and it was a good healthy discussion and eventually we settled on the last I think the last name the last ever yeah. mentioned in that episode and it was important because you were introduced to a bunch of people and you get to think uh, is this the one um is it this father who lives in this compound across the street um and then you find out that wait no Kathy was dating this guy who lived right across the street and had a bit of a hot temper and and this might be somebody that we are going to hear a lot about and we do when you know i think when you know the ending yeah you can tinker with the beginning and so that's that's what i try to do i try to write in my mind i try to write the end first and then write to the end in structuring it is it different than how you would structure it on the page I think so because when you think about it, if you watch a show on television or if you read a newspaper article, it's a finite, uh, an hour show or a 25-inch story in the newspaper. This, six hours, seven hours, yeah. bonus episodes. Um, it, see, it feels like infinite possibilities. And so I feel free. Like I can... I can go off in tangents. I can tell the story of Debbie Torres, the younger sister who decided she was going to be a cop. I can tell the story of Darren Wyatt, who, who was raised in South Africa and has a twin brother and came to the United States. I can tell the story about the courtroom drama where one attorney switched sides in the middle of the case, which is a really great detail that's coming up. Um, so I have time and space. Yes. Yeah. When we kind of map out the season, basically what I did was and told Keith, okay, go ahead and give me an outline. I want to know where you think the you know, the high points are going to be, what's going to leave us from one uh, episode to the next. Because you, you do want people to stay really hooked to it. And the great thing is because the cost is really controlled by us, There's it's basically our time. Yeah, oh, it's yeah, it's his, his closet and our time. Right. Um, and we have a a sound engineer, basically, who is doing... Shout out to Kevin, who's yeah. not here tonight. Yeah. Kevin Sablon has done a wonderful job. Birthday. He yeah. did all the music. And yeah, created all the music for the yeah. um, the season, by the way. Um, so we're not confined to a six-episode order. We don't have that restriction of, okay, you have to do it in this amount of time. It's whatever the story deserves. Interesting. Now, I'm, I'm wondering, um, this is going back to... Uh, perhaps the ethical question, but in 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 having a lot of time, you also have a lot of time for really specific detail. Mm. And there is an episode where it details everything that was done to the episode amazing, six. Episode yeah. six. Um, and I found myself just gasping, mm. um, even though it, some of it had been mentioned before. The whole litany of what happens to this amazingly powerful girl. Is is truly breathtaking. How you know where I'm going here? Yeah. Where's the line, and how did you decide what to do, and why is it necessary? So I followed the end of the case in the newspaper, and um, I heard about a girl who was stabbed 74 times, 
and I never really thought about what that meant. And then one day at my desk, I grabbed a pen, and I started to stab 74 times, mm-hmm. and I and thought... Tony Saavedra got really worried when you... Right, right, right. Tony Saavedra sits, sits next to me, <laughs> and I'm stabbing, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm only at 15. Oh my gosh, I'm only at 40. There are 34 stabs left to go. Um, so I followed the case, and I couldn't fathom what this was like, and then I got, then I did a Freedom of Information Act request, I got the coroner's report, which is 12 pages of just brutality. And, and that's the thing, and I, I had to have many conversations with Mary about, we need to know what murder really is like. And um, so I thought it was my responsibility tell the harsh details of what he did. And then we decided, at the last second actually, we really need to warn the listeners. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, it, it was so disturbing. Our process is that Keith gives me a script, I edit it. We argue. Yeah, we argue. <laughs> almost every time. And then... He records it, and then Kevin Sablon uh, will go ahead and produce the episode, and we'll lay in ads and all those things, and then we all listen to it again. I do the final listen, and I said, this is just too disturbing. We cannot just put this out in the world without letting people know. You might want to skip ahead. And we even put it in the episode notes yeah, on this one and just said, exactly. Mm-hmm. We said, you can skip ahead and pass the autopsy details. And I was tempted to do that, I'll tell you. I really was. But then listening to it, it really, for me, underlined, um, one, of course, the brutality of the act. And, and, but, it, but it underlined the motivation Mary must have felt to say, because I have, I have a child I have, and, and stepchildren, and I thought, there he is, there he is. Um, and I thought, as a mom, I had that feeling of, how dare he? You know, and it really underlined the motivation of, well, our, here, of our protagonist. Here's the other thing. Mary wants to know every detail. Yeah. So she would call me, even before I started writing anything, she would ask me, what did you learn? What does the coroner's report say? She wants to see every photo. She wants to see, she wants to know every detail about what happened. And there's some, there's still some shocking details that are coming in the later episodes. You're killing me. And we have, dis- and Mary uh, knew about all of those details that shocked me. Just wait. There's some incredible stuff coming. But yeah, she didn't know all the details of the autopsy report. No, she didn't know about the autopsy and report. That's, yeah. And there is, you talk about the responsibility we have. Yes. It's a scary thing. You go, okay, we're going to be telling a mom about mm-hmm. the, the horror that happened to her daughter. Mm-hmm. And much less telling the world, but telling a mom. Right. And I can't imagine being one of the cops who had to first approach her. We talked to them too. Yeah, and they're in there. Yeah, yeah. But also, then being the ones who are conveying this to to Mary and to Tina and to Debbie and to Marty. Yeah, Keith, uh, you guys wanted to to preview something, or should we wait for a minute? No, it's fine. I just need to prompt it on my phone. So you want me to set it up? Sure. Okay. So. The way that I started the research uh, after my trip to uh, the street in Placentia was I went to the police station and I asked for the file. And you might expect uh, a file sounds like a stack of papers. This case it was not. It was a box of cassette tapes from 1994 and interviews with all the people involved. And so I had to figure out how am I going to record because I didn't have a cassette player. We don't have those anymore. One of the police officers fished in the bottom of his desk and got a cassette player. So I hit play and then record on my recording device. And the results were inconsistent at best. You can hear uh, it with varying degrees of uh, 
you know, yeah. And, and listening to those tapes, the characters come to life and you start to anticipate what the cops are trying to do and what the suspects are about to say. And so that's where episode eight starts. So thank you for coming out tonight. And we just wanted to give you a little bit of a preview of this episode. Um, and I don't think it spoils anything for those of you who aren't caught up yet. Let's hope you can hear this. When you listen to all the old cassette tapes of interviews that I have listened to, you're waiting for something to jump out, some mistake, some lie, some slip of the tongue. So I became fascinated with one of the interviews with Javier Lopez, the cousin of the lead suspect in the murder of Kathy Torres. The interview took place on February 24, 1994, four days after Kathy was discovered stabbed to death in the trunk of her own car. Javier Lopez said he wasn't involved in killing anybody. He just wanted to party. That's all. At least that's what he kept repeating to the cops in that interview and for all those years. On February 12, 1994, Javier's sister Virginia was celebrating her birthday. And she, Javier, and a group of people were going to a club called Fantasia in La Puente. Fantasia. It had a pink pastel and blue exterior. It shared a parking lot with a Levitt's furniture store. Javier told police his goal on that night was to dance in that club. And his story picks up about 8 p.m. on the night Kathy Torres disappeared. Javier talks about wanting to go to the club, getting ready, paging his cousin, driving around with Sam Lopez in Sam's truck, stopping at friend John Barroso's house before starting the trek to La Puente. His story just didn't seem right. Here's what it sounded like when Placentia police officers Gary Legalbo and Bob Jenkins questioned Javier. I think what seems odd, at least just on first glance to me, is here you are at home taking a shower, getting ready because you're going to go out partying for, did you say your sister's birthday? Right. One of your sister's birthdays. Right. And it sounds to me as if people were getting ready to leave in the, in the very near future. And rather than just give John a call and say, hey man, last chance, do you, you know, come on, go, we're going to have a lot of fun. You go all the trouble of paging someone to come and get you, which is going to be an inconvenience right. for them, drive them all the, have them come all the way out to Anaheim Hills to get you, drive you all the way to Fullerton to drop you off at John's, just so that a couple minutes later, everybody else can come over to John's to pick you up and, and get you going with them, whatever dance, what dance club do you go to? Fantasia. Whatever dance to Fantasia. You see my point? Yeah, but see, I mean, I, we didn't know this. Where's Fantasia? Whoa, wait. Did you hear that? Javier said, We, we didn't, didn't know this. this was going to, huh? And then he stops because Jenkins asks him another question. It seems pretty clear he was about to say, We didn't know this was going to happen. Meaning, he might have had a logical explanation for all the strange movements that night if this whole murder of Kathy Torres thing didn't get in the way. And then, his fingerprint was found on the trunk of Kathy's car. And then, his DNA was found on the left rear quarter panel. In 1997, Javier was arrested, but the police turned right around and let him go when the DA chose not to file charges. And Sam Lopez, the guy Kathy Torres' mother believed was a murderer? She watched him get married and father a child while he was living across the street. Even with interviews like this on tape, and there were several incriminating interviews that I'll share with you. Justice wasn't getting done. That's episode eight. Dude. <laughs> you know, it occurs to me that there's a certain transparency in this medium. Um, what I mean is you're hearing these voices. You're hearing the ums and the ahs and the, and the broken sentences. And Keith, we're also hearing you as you discover this story. Right. You, as you might sound good or not so good, mm. as you're interviewing people. I'm wondering about that. So there's a spot at the very end where a new detail presents itself for the first time. And I remember sitting at my desk upstairs listening to the tape. I, brought, they, I, I was able to bring home a 
tape at one point to listen to it. And I hit play at home. It was a Friday night. And I heard what I heard. I'm not going to say it here. <gasps> but I, I gasped. I could not believe what I was hearing. It really affects you as a person doing the research. You know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, yeah. So uh, that's coming. Yeah, there's, there's just a, an amazing, I think it engenders trust in, yeah. in us listening. There was a point in, it's like episode four or five, where I went to our sound guy and said, Keith sounds like he's talking about a million miles an hour in this episode. But it was because the, the story was so compelling and it was moving at a lightning pace at that point and it sounded genuine. But I just wanted to make sure that it wasn't that I hadn't hit the speed on my uh, phone to turn it up. He said, "No, he's actually talking that fast." Uh, oh well. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you think is important for for uh, the audience tonight to hear? Oh wait, see, I could go on all night. I won't. But I'm just curious. You you uh, give uh, a nods and appreciation to uh, fellow podcasters. Um, can you talk about how some of them might have influenced you? And then I want to open it up for questions. I told my wife the story today. I'm not even sure if she remembers. In 2015, I got a, uh, a new phone for Christmas, and I had no idea how to use said phone. So I went to the store to ask for advice, and I saw my, my home screen for the first time. And when you look at the home screen of your new phone, your new iPhone, there's a purple button at the top that said podcasts, and I clicked on it for the very first time. And the first podcast I listened to was called Accused. And Accused, new uh, season dropped today, by the way, in, in Accused. And it's done by the Cincinnati Inquirer. And I thought it was great. Oh, my goodness. This is an incredible way to tell stories. And you got a shout out to Amy. Come yeah, on. Yeah, at the, yeah, at the very end, uh, they thanked Amy Wilson, who used to sit next to me at the Orange County Register. And across from me. Right, exactly. And Amy's great, and I love her, and I called her up and said, what is it about this podcast thing? And she said, you've got to do it. And so that was the, that was the start. And you know, Keith thanks several podcasters at the end of it, and we did a, a countdown of our, our favorite true crime podcasts um, as a preview to this season, because um, I'm sure all of you have listened to season one, uh, is the... Uh, the tale of the biggest bank heist in U.S. history happened right here in Orange County. Um, but we were gearing up for season two and wanted to get people excited about it. And it was an interesting debate. Um, the one that I had not listened to at that point um, was In the Dark Season 2, which is brilliant. Um, it's something that might change the life of, of some people who were involved in that case. And it showed the power to me of just what can be accomplished by using this medium. Um, I mean, the Supreme Court talks about the reporting that was done in that when it put a stay on um, on a case. Um, and then I'm also a sucker for S-Town because I think it's something that showed just how this medium can, can reach so deep into your heart. Yes. Um, and that's such a personal story we both consider it a true crime-ish story. Um, some people might disagree, but it's it's just brilliant. Yeah. Well, I certainly have to give a shout out to to Jody John because my my son actually listened to it on the trip to New Mexico, and he wanted to listen to it again on the way back home. Um, powerful storytelling. Yeah, except it's the LA Times. Yeah, so, yeah, I wasn't going to mention the place. I was just going to mention. Um, so anyway, I want to open up to any questions. If anybody has any burning desires, yes, ma'am. Oh, hi. Great, great interview. Thank yeah. you. It's not so much a question, but a comment to your first question about listening to podcasts. And for me, when I when I listen to it, it becomes compelling as this story is. I lose myself. Totally lose myself, and I step into compassion of somebody else's. That's such experience. an interesting thing. You know, step into compassion of the experience. It it, it it raises empathy. Yeah, great. Yeah, I, I really do think my first experience was that with that was with S Town. Um, if you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend it. After you get finished listening to the class. Of right, course. Right. You know, S Town. S Town. Yeah. It stands for 
sorry, shit town. Um, but, um, but the empathy that you will feel for the people involved in this, this story. We'll catch you by surprise. Yeah. yeah. It, it's heartbreaking. Yes. How do you decide what your podcast, like what crime or murder are you going to actually podcast? Right. So, my earlier question. Todd, Todd and I argue. That's how. I come to him and I say, I think I got a good one. And he says, mm, But you've done not, a lot of research. You've yeah, but I, well, I want to sell him. I, I want to I pitch the idea to him in a compelling way. Way. How, how, do you, how do you go about finding those, those cases that you want to... I, I'm, looking for, I'm looking for a story that has layers to it. So it's not just uh, a body on page one and an alibi on page two. It's got to be something other than that. That's why in this story, the mom's journey was so important to me. And I'm sorry, I'm just going to step in because mm -hmm. I, I think I know what she's asking. Right. He's been a reporter since, since yeah, forever. Forever. forever, yeah. And okay, Boomer. Okay, wait. <laughs> okay, okay, Boomer. Yeah. Um, okay, Gen Xer, sorry. <laughs> um, and um, so Keith, and Keith is a fantastic storyteller. I'm not just saying that because he's so friend. He really is. And he's been involved in a lot of high-profile stories over the years. And then we have this guy who's also been, uh, this guy being Todd Harmonson to, to my left, who's also uh, has this encyclopedic knowledge. So the two of them just, you know, batting back and forth. Oh, remember that one, right? Mm -hmm. That's almost literally what we do. Yeah. I yeah. know you guys. Do, yes. people, do people present to you pieces? No. I mean, you're, some people are suggesting things well, once well, in a while, right? Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, it's true. I do. I get emails. Yeah. Uh, since like I have in my circle of family and friends a murder that happened. Send me an email. I'm on it. Send me an email. Yeah. Season four. Yeah, there yeah. you go. And there are some things that you know we'll discuss, and I'll say, nah. that's a story. We can do a, a, a story on that, but I don't know that it can carry six to ten right. to twelve episodes. Yeah, because you, you need an arc. You need some twists. Um, right. You need the compelling characters that are going to get people to listen week after week. And you know, we've made that decision to, to not give it to you all at once. We want you to keep coming back. Um, and we also, here's the business part of it. I've got friends back there who will say, we need to be able to sell this. Um, and it's an important thing. Uh, somebody needs to say, okay, this is a compelling story that will keep people going, and they might consider buying our product because of it. It's part of our reality, unfortunately. Well, oh, that's always our reality. Um, okay, anybody else? Yes, um, Mr. Smith. So, it's, it seems like a story that's not just an event and consequences, but also a passage of time. Mm -hmm. Placentia is a very nuclear place in our so did this come, did you find it, in what ways did this permeate placentia as time goes by? I mean, was it sort of forgotten and then suddenly things change and the whole town is just, or had sort of the ghost of Kathy Torres always sort of been around placentia? You, you can still go to the Kathy Torres Learning Center, you can still see the tree across the street uh, from her house that they, the Girl Scout troop planted in her honor. Yeah, I don't think it's changed a whole lot. I mean, I s sat there and looked at that little house and that little house across the street from each other. I went to the spot where the murder happened. I went to the 31 Flavors uh, ice cream shop where they met. It's all still there. It's almost like preserved. If you take away the pagers and the cell phones as big as bricks and the video stores, it's kind of basically the same place, I think. Yeah, um, and I think you'll see, or you'll hear in episode eight, how I'll give Mary some of that credit too of how she kept this in Placentia's consciousness. It's really literally. I mean, it's yeah. she. It because of the job she took, she kept it in the in the face of the police. Of the police. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they had no choice. Yes. That's a, that's a really good question. Uh, I think it's open to interpretation. But, I, I mean, between you and I, 
I don't think so. Looks bad, though. There's a, the timing was impeccable. Yeah. When was it solved? When it solved. Do you want to know? No, you have to listen. <laughs> you have to listen. No, I haven't. I haven't it said it took yet. more than two decades for yeah. it to be solved, um, but I think you'll hear that in yeah. episode it's, it's 10. Coming up. Yeah, it's coming up. Yeah. Uh, there are two questions back here. Yes, sir, and then ma'am. Yeah, I, just, I wanted to know how you balance being like an investigative journalist without stepping on toes, considering this is a case that's been open for a while. Mm -hmm. Like, were you met with any resistance by people who didn't want to? help you? I mean, you mentioned getting coroner's reports and police reports and stuff. Were there anybody that was like, no, we've done our job, you can't dig into this question? That's a great question. What pushback did you get, if yeah. any, and, and, and the relationship of, of the justice system to, to these podcasts? In this case, they know how it comes out, so the police were very cooperative. The pushback I got was from the district attorney's office. Um, who took a very long time to make a decision on what to do on this case, and so they're not as happy that all this is going on. So it, it's funny where the pushback comes from. Um, but yeah, it's uncomfortable. It's, it's an uncomfortable topic uh, that you kind of have to f uh, finesse your way into interviews and things. Um, the, the person who didn't want to talk was one of the prosecutors uh, who made a decision not to go after Sam Lopez, the guy who lived across the street. And, and you'll hear what happens with that come, going forward. One thing that Keith used throughout the, um, the process on this was basically some investigative journalism tools. You can use public records requests and get a lot of information. And you could do it as a member of the public. We do it as reporters all the time. And it's something that there's a world of information out there available to you. You just have to know what to ask for and how to do it. Um, but that opened the door for a lot of this information that people weren't going to just hand over without that. that that's, a, that's one of the things that's so interesting to me, listening to podcasts in general, but this piece in particular, is that the, the narrator, who's Keith, is essentially the stand-in for the, he's the professional amateur, <laughs> right? He's, he's the a, a citizen going in search of something for all of us. It's, it's a very interesting dynamic. Uh, Barbara, you had a question. Really basic question, but I haven't, I haven't seen this uh, promoted until I came tonight. So, how are you promoting that? Yeah, how are we promoting it? <laughs> yeah, who, who would who would know that? We are promoting it mainly through print ads and then some stuff online. Um, Word of mouth is of amazing. Mouth. Tell <laughs> um, so tell your friends. You know, here's our, our dream is to get noticed in a way that people are paying attention to it. We get a great review or maybe just get in that highlighted podcast um, page on Apple, Apple Podcasts yeah. and then we could take off. Um, we've, we've been in the top ranked podcasts in like true crime. Um, you know, not at the, at the very top, but we've been around the world. We, we've been in there mm -hmm. and it just needs to catch fire because this is a saturated market right now. We were top 20 in Iceland. <laughs> yes. It, it needs something organic to happen. Um, because we're not going to spend a huge amount of money to, to market it in some ways. We're not going to put up billboards on the 57 or the five. We talked uh, about that. Yeah, I'd like to, but uh, it, that's expensive. Um, and we're trying to keep this going. We want a, we want a season three and a season four. Um, so we need to control our costs and hopefully catch fire somewhere. Well, listen, I mean, I, I think that it's, it's well known that things really catch on in the cultural zeitgeist through word of mouth. Yes, it would be great. I'm all for the 57 billboards, by the way. But um, 
it's it's about connecting to the story and people telling people that's what we know is true in grassroots politics that's what we know is true in book publishing music i'm looking at uh, i'm a pop music writer in the back of the room uh, who's probably maybe nodding his head um but it, it really does rely on the strength of storytelling and people telling people so tell your friends listen to it and tell your friends um anything else any burning desires before we wrap up and uh and hit the bar in the back yes sir about uh, the emotional response that listeners have to podcasts. The emotional response that listeners are having. You know how I can tell I'm making an. Your print stories and your movies. Yeah. Well, to to be fair, I mean, Andy, the stranger in the back of the room, um, just just pointed out. I mean, you you've had screen uh, screenplays produced. Uh, mm. Robert De Niro was mm. was in one of them. I mm. mean, it's uh, Forrest Whitaker was in another. You've had some some. Um, very good success in screenwriting, and you've been a fantastic reporter. I don't know why I'm being so nice to you, because I'm usually <laughs> not as nice to you. No. But, but really, there's something about podcasting, so what is that emotional response? I can tell that I've hit a nerve when I start to get emails with from people telling me about their murders. And that happens, like, oh, I know a guy, like, woman in the front row, and so suddenly I'm st I've got I had a Marine shot in the back of the head in 1997, a week ago. I've got another a skull found in Tonner Canyon that I'm going to do a story on coming up. People are, are telling me their stories now, and I think they're entrusting me with the pain because they hear my voice and they hear the way I tell it, and they think, oh, I, I need to tell this guy. Can I just add something? I'm just going to do it anyway because you know me. Sure. But I just think there's something so fascinating right now, just in my own experience of listening to these podcasts, listening to Keith's in particular. Um, there, there is, a, there is a moral dilemma. There is, a, there, there are challenges. There are heroes and there are monsters. And there's some type of resolution. And right now, everything that I'm listening to in the bigger world is so so beyond an easy solution, so beyond comprehension, that something about focusing on this very personal, very dramatic story is deeply emotionally satisfying at this point. So bravo. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Here's the special offer from the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts. Buy one ticket to Arsenic and Old Lace, get one free. Use the promo code AntBogo, A-U-N-T-B-O-G-O. Enter the code before selecting your seats. Valid on all performances of Arsenic and Old Lace. Offer good on full price tickets only. Tickets are available at LaMiradaTheater.com. Don't miss Broadway's classic killer comedy, Arsenic and Old Lace, combining murder and mayhem with zany humor. Arsenic and Old Lace is an uproaring comedy that gives hospitality a bad name. Opens January 24th through February 16th. Tickets at LaMiradaTheater.com. Thank you so much for listening to this season. I've already started work on season three, so I'll be back in your podcast feed as soon as I can. If you know anyone who wants to sponsor an episode or a season of this podcast, please call my desk at area code 714-796-7962. I'll see you next time on Crime Beat. Now, here's what I promised. The update on some of the people involved in this podcast. Kathy's family, her mother Mary, sisters Tina and Debbie, and brother Marty, are healthy. They asked me not to reveal too much about their personal details. None of them are living in Placentia. Sam Lopez is serving his 26-to-life sentence at the Correctional Training Facility in Soledad, California. He has a potential parole hearing date in June of 2023. Javier Lopez is married and living in Orange County. His wife posted pictures of his proposal on Facebook, where he's shown dressed up in knight's armor, down on one knee, presenting her a ring. Darren Wyatt retired from the Anaheim Police Department at the end of 2019. As I record this in the second week of January, Darren's retirement party is scheduled for tomorrow night. Matt Murphy retired from the Orange County District Attorney's Office in the fall of 2019. He's got a private law practice now with emphasis on helping victims of sexual assault. He also plans on working as a television commentator.
Longtime DA investigator Larry Montgomery retired too in 2019. He still lectures around the country on investigative procedures. Tina Montelongo, Sam Lopez's former wife, who I enjoyed talking with for this podcast, is living in another state and raising their daughter. If you want to connect with me on social media, I'm at Keith Sharon OC or at Beat underscore Crime on Twitter. I'm Crime Beat Podcast on Instagram, and just search for Keith Sharon on Facebook. We'll talk soon. Crime Beat Season 2 was produced by the Southern California News Group. The executive editor was Frank Pine. The senior editor was Todd Harmonson. Audio editing, mixing, and music by Kevin Sablon. Field recording and videos by Jeff Gritchen. Graphics by Kurt Snibby. And I want to give special thanks to podcasters who inspired this work. Amy Wilson and Amber Hunt on Accused. Sarah Koenig on Serial. Brian Reed on S-Town. Chris Gofford on Dirty John. Madeline Barron on In the Dark. Nate DeMeo on The Memory Palace. And Phoebe Judge on Criminal. The best way you can support this podcast is to give us high ratings, write great reviews, and tell your friends to check out our work. Also, you can listen to Crime Beat Season 1, Stealing Nixon's Millions. That story was the inspiration behind the 2019 movie Finding Steve McQueen, starring Forrest Whitaker, Travis Fimmel, Rachel Taylor, and William Fickner. Thanks for listening. Here's more information on the play Arsenic and Old Lace at the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts. The play is scheduled to run from January 24th through February 16th. Use the promo code ANTBOGO, A-U-N-T-B-O-G-O, for a discount on tickets at lamaradatheater.com.